Welcome to Headlines. This is Ari Wasserman sitting in for David Lichtenstein. Today we are going to be talking about women singers, women performers. Is it preferable that women attend a performance by a male performer or a female performer? And in that regard, we'll talk about the prohibition of histoclus. Men are prohibited from looking inappropriately at women. How about women looking at men, in particular a male performer, a male singer dancing in front of them? And in addition, how about the prohibition of kolisha, the prohibition of a man listening to a woman sing? How about kolish? Is there a prohibition of a woman listening to a man sing? In fact, the opinion of the Sefer Hasidim is that there is a prohibition of Kol Ish. And as long as we're talking about women performers' live performances, how about posting of the videos of the singing online? Is there a prohibition of maybe Leif Ne'iver that we are putting up or the women posting those videos? Is there a prohibition that there may be men that may come and listen to the Kol Isha? And in fact, if that is a problem, does a Kol Isha warning, a warning at the beginning of the video saying that this, this is for women only, does that help the situation? And more generally, even if we get through the halachic issues of Kol Kfudabas Melech Prima and Kistakus and Kol Isha and the like, Leif Neiver, which we'll talk about all of those, how about Yiddish values? Is there a problem here performing, a woman performing in public, even though it's only in front of other women. We have an amazing group of guests joining us today. We are going to start out with Rabbi Anthony Manning. He is the head of a seminary in Yushalayim, a popular speaker. He just put out a book. He's a co-author called Reclaiming Dignity. He wrote it together with uh, Mrs. Bracha Poliakoff, who is a writer, a speaker, and a social worker as well. So we'll start out with the Rabbi Manning, and we'll talk about various halachic aspects of our conversation today, of our topic today. Then we will speak with Rebitzin Esty Hamilton. She is a popular lecturer, a teacher. She is on her way from London to Florida to become a principal of a school in Florida. As we air, she may be in the air right now, and uh, we are going to then get Piske Halacha from Rabbi Zev Lev, the Rav, the Posek, the Rosh Yeshiva, the author, and so much more. And then we will culminate the show with a very popular performer, female performer, Mrs. Bracha Jaffe, only performs for women and ensures that her band is all female as well. Now, what inspired this topic? So uh, what inspired it is uh, not too long ago, there was a uh, concert by a female performer and uh, it was all set, sold out, sold out. And uh, a group of Rabbanim, great Talmidei Chachamim, came out with a statement that they felt that the concert was problematic. And they sent around a declaration saying that uh, the concert for ladies and girls it, quote, may cause spiritual harm in Ruchnius and Hashkafah and one should therefore not participate in such an event. And uh, that's what we're going to be talking about. Is there a problem having their performances? We'll go through the Halacha, we'll go through the Hashkafah, we'll talk about the Ruchnius. Is this something that is positive for the singer, for the attendees, or is this something that could be detrimental? I do want to say, I mentioned the uh, speakers that are going to join us on today's show. I did try to get additional speakers, Rabbanim, who were part of that declaration that women should not attend uh, the event. And I do want to say, I would have loved to have had them on 
the show. It is important that we hear the various voices and opinions, and that's what Headlines is all about. So in the future, if you get contacted from Headlines, again, we'd love to have you going forward. Tried, definitely tried, uh, and uh, Mir Tashem uh, will have opportunities in the future because there are times when people send in comments and uh, responses. They reflect on the shows and they say maybe it was too one-sided. In fact, that happened recently with the last show that I did was a Skula show. Are Skulas effective? Are they not effective? And a few people commented that they thought it was one-sided against Skulas. I, I just do want to mention that I had contacted a, a great Svarty Makuba to be on the show. And unfortunately, he came down with a serious case of corona when we were uh, doing the interview. So uh, Mir Tashem will be able to have an opportunity in the future to have a Skula show, Skula number two, we can call it. And we'll hear, and people recommended Rabbanim uh, or Sfardi, Rabbanim or Hasidish. So Mir Tashem will have that after the Chagim will have that opportunity. So on this show today, uh, we've attempted to make, uh, make it uh, not one-sided whatsoever, but it's certainly would have helped to hear from those Rabbanim who uh, made that proclamation to not attend that event. Before we go to our guest, something on Parsha, very interesting in this week's Parsha, Parsha's Matos, the first of this week's Parsha, we have Klal Yisrael, Kaddish Baruch Hu tells to Moshe Rabbeinu, take retribution against Midian. You need to take retribution. Midian, they enticed, especially the Jewish men, to uh, do improper behaviors, activities with the uh, Midianite women and to get involved in Avodah Zorah. And now it's time for vengeance. And in fact, Moshe Rabbeinu does instruct Klal Yisrael, it's time to go, time to go to war, take vengeance against Midian, and that's what they did, Baruch Hashem, successfully. Then they come back, and uh, the Parsha talks about that uh, the animals they left alive, and various captives that they took, and they took the booty and the like. And then there's an interesting uh, discussion or statement by the commanders of the army. They uh, took a census to see if anyone had been killed in battle, and Baruch Hashem, the Pasuk tells us, This is the conversation that they owe with Moshe Rabbeinu. We took a census, and uh, Baruch Hashem, no one was killed. And the Pasuk also says right after that, that they brought a korban. And there's an interesting conversation recorded in the Gemara and Shabbos as follows, No one was left behind. Everyone came out successfully. No one was killed in battle. And what are they talking about? So we'd think that they're talking about physically everyone was uh, whole and everyone was uh, came back healthy. But in fact, they're talking about La'avera. And what the generals and the commanders of the army are saying is that we went to war against Midian. And historically, our interactions with Midian were negative. They enticed us. We had improper contacts with them. But this time when we went to war, no one got involved in Avera with the Midianite women whatsoever. So Moshe Rabbeinu accordingly asked them, so why are you bringing a korban? Apparently you're bringing a korban chatas to bring repentance for a sin. And uh, if you're telling me no one did any sin, so what's the korban for? So their response is very interesting. He, they say as follows, Truth be told, no one did a physical Avera with the Midianite women. However, However, we did trip up because there were improper thoughts here, and accordingly, that is why we are bringing this Korban Chatas. And the Chidush Ha'arim asks a very interesting question. 
He says as follows, so why did they wait till now? They should have brought the Korban Chatas right when they came back from war. You come back from war, there were uh, no uh, physical Averas, but there were mental, Hirhure Avera. Bring the Korban then. Why did you wait until we learn of the halachas of Kashrin Kalim? We have the discussion of when you go, when you have Kalim that were used by non-Jews for cooking. It teaches us in the Torah that you have to do Hagola if they used their Kalim that had treif in it for, and they used it for in hot. So you have to do Hagola, you have to cleanse it with hot water and and even if they didn't use it for hot, you have to put it in a mikvah, etc. So why did they wait? And they divided the spoils. Why did they wait to bring the korban until later on? And the Chidushe Harim says as follows, because initially they thought that the only Avera that you do, when is it really an Avera? When you do a Misa. When you do a Misa Avera, that is when you have to bring a Kapor. You have to bring a korban, a korban Chatas. You need a Kapor of when you did an action. However, they thought if it's just men it's just inappropriate thoughts. You don't need a kapara for that. But then they learn the halachas of hagalas kelim. Hagalas kelim, you have to dunk that kli. And what's the concept here? That even though you look in that vessel, that kli, that pot, that pan that was used with treif, and you look at it, and there's nothing there. There's no tarfus there. There's no iser there. You can't see anything. Nonetheless, you have to do hagala. It has to be cleaned. It has to be cleansed. You have to get the tam, the taste of the treif out of it. They said that's what we learned from here. So too, that's just like Hirhure Avera, improper thoughts. Just like when it comes to the Kalim, there's nothing substantial there. There's nothing there. You can't see anything, but there is something absorbed. The Tam, the taste of Treif is absorbed in the Kli itself. They said the same thing when it comes to improper thoughts. There was no action. But nonetheless, we have to purify ourselves. The tam is absorbed in the person, just like the tam, the taste is involved in the kalim. And accordingly, the Chidush Erem says, this is what they said to Moshe Rabbeinu. We learn from Agalas kalim, tam ke'ikr, the tam, the taste is just like the substance itself. There's no substance there, but the tam absorbed in the walls, it's the same thing. This, he, he says, so too... When we came back from war, Mahshava Kamaisa, we learned from Agazlulas Kalim that when you have improper thoughts, it's as if you do the act. And just like we have to clean those Kalim from the Tam, we have to clean ourselves with the Korban because of our Mahshav's improper thoughts. And that's effectively what we're going to be talking about today proper or improper thoughts. Uh, when we have uh, the claim against these performances, I'll quote it again. The uh, great Rabbani who came out against the female performance, it says, they may cause spiritual harm in Ruchnius and Ashkafa, and therefore don't participate in such events. That is what we're talking about. Tam ki'ikor, machshava kemaisa, that it could have a negative influence on the people. You can't see anything. But are these the right values that we want to instill within our, our younger girls, our young ladies, our women? But on the other hand, on the other hand, we could say that these are amazing values, that we have a context of women performing for women, and they're talking about Divrei Torah, and they're talking about inspiration, and they're saying Tehillim, and the songs are beautiful. In fact, uh, somebody sent me an email knowing I was talking about a specific performer. Just want you to know we love Bracha Jaffe, that happens to be the performer that is going to be on the show today, but there are other ones as well, and they love listening to female singers. It is great for the girls to see. She's talking, I believe, about her daughters as a number of daughters, so it's good for my daughters to see this as opposed to just listening to men 
and watching men. And she talks about, again, this bracha Jaffe, puts out beautiful, meaningful songs. But she says, not all women singers do. But I have to say, not all the men are great role models either. So that's what we're talking about, values. Tam ki'ikar. That's what we're talking about. Machshava kemaise. Are these good values we're instilling? Or are these negative values, harmful values? And Amir Tashem will be able to clarify that today as we speak with our various guests on the show. And now, before going to our guests, we will hear the riddle of the week. Today's Riddle of the Week is from Parshas Matos as well. And we have uh, the commanders, the army coming back from the war with uh, Midian. And as mentioned before, uh, there were captives. Who were the captives? Women captives. And Moshe Rabbeinu gets very upset. And he says, you left the women alive? You left them alive? In effect, he's saying they caused the whole problem last time with the Midianite women and Klal Yisrael and the men. How can you leave them alive? And the question is as follows. Why is Moshe Rabbeinu getting upset at them for leaving the women, the Midianite women alive? He never instructed them that they were part of the problem and they had to go as well. So he never told them, just like the men, you have to conquer and you have to get rid and destroy. So too, he should have said that about the women, but Moshe Rabbeinu admitted that. So the question is, why is Moshe Rabbeinu getting upset at Klal Yisrael for leaving the women alive? If you want to leave a message by phone or dial in by phone to listen, in America, our number is 732-806-8700. In England, it's 44, like that's the country code, 33011-70250. In Eretz Yisrael, it's 02-372-0304. And now let's go to our wonderful guests. Joining us now is Rabbi Anthony Manning. Rabbi Manning is the principal of Midrashat Hila Girls Seminary in Yerushalayim. He is a popular speaker, lecturer, and also an author, having just co-authored a comprehensive book on Tzniyas and modesty called Reclaiming Dignity. Again, Reclaiming Dignity, a guide to Tzniyas for men and women. Rabbi Manning, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Rabbi. Good to have you. So Rabbi Manning, we are talking about women's performances, and uh, there are a number of issues we can discuss. Hopefully, we'll be able to get through uh, all of them. And I want to talk about the most fundamental one, which comes to mind when it comes to female performances, because we're talking about singing primarily. Kolisha. Kolisha. Now, men are into tending, but let's get an overview of what the prohibition of Kolisha is, Deraisa, Derabanan, on a high level. I know you can write books and books on this, but uh, why don't we keep it just on a high level? Okay, fine. So Kolisha is obviously a halachic issue. Um, it's important to stress at the beginning that this general topic, there are a lot of hashkafic issues, which hopefully we'll also deal with. 
but they're also critical and central. So let's not just focus on the halachic. But in terms of kol isha, um, the question that you're always asking at the beginning of this discussion is, are we looking at the listener? Are we focusing on the listener? Are we focusing on the singer? Now, from our perspective right now, if we're focusing on the listener, we're talking about the women at the concert. Um, is there a kol isha question for them to be listening? Is there kol ish? And we'll get to that as well. Uh, and if you're focusing on the singer, then you're not really looking at kol isha as a question. You're looking at sneers as a question. So if women are singing in front of an audience from the singer's perspective, then we're really call Isha as a little bit of a misleading topic. It's not really call Isha, it's sneers, and we have to focus on that as well. So let's just start with uh, focusing on the listener. So call Isha is obviously a halachic issue addressed primarily to men. The Gemara in Brochus and Chafdala, Damod Aleph, talks about call Isha, call the Isha Erva. It talks about all sorts of issues of Erva. Erva is a reference to a privacy or a nakedness, which is distracting in some way to other things. Now, what are those other things? So there are two real branches of Kol Isha when we're talking about men listening to women to start with. Um, the first is in the context of davening. So the Gemara there is talking about brachas, kriyashma, davening, etc. And says that if a woman is singing, a man is not allowed to do those things to say Shem Hashem. It's not even a question necessarily of sexual distraction, even his own wife, according to most poskim. It's just not covered HaTorah. There's something inappropriate about that distracting influence while the man is dabbing. That's one issue. That's It's an erva. It's an erva. It's an erva. It's pretty objective. It's not really a question of what he is thinking, isn't thinking. It's an objective breach of a covered HaTorah. He can't dabbing with the singing going on. The second issue is uh, the Gemara in Sota, which is uh, a question of sexual distraction in an inappropriate way. When a man is listening, let's say, to a woman singing a sort of a nightclub scenario, the Gemara talks about that kind of thing. And there the concern is that the men are going to have improper thoughts. And there is a mitzvah in the that drifting off into inappropriate sexual thoughts is a Torah prohibition. So Koli Shah itself is a rabbinic prohibition, according to most of most opinions. There is one opinion that it's on a Torah level, but that's not a mainstream opinion. But it has these two different uh, arms. One is in the context of davening, which is ruled in the Shulchan Aruch and Arachayim. And one is in the context of inappropriate sexual uh, listening which is uh, which is ruled in Evan Ha'ezer. It, it sounds like there are two issues that we're going to have to grapple with. It's Erva and Hirhurim, and that's men listening to women. So that's called Isha. And mm. I guess the next question then is, how about Kol Ish? Kol Ish is a man singing and a woman listening. Would we have these two variables as well, these two components? The Erva of a man, is that considered an Erva when he sings? And is there a possibility of Hirhurim? I guess that's maybe a broader concept. Right question when it comes to Hirurim. Men uh, certainly have Hirurim. Do women have the same? Right. So that's a great question. And uh, Kol Ish is not dealt with in the same kind of breadth in the halachic literature as Kol Isha, although it is in a few places which we'll talk about. In terms of the two aspects of Kol Isha, the tefillah, so that is not relevant to women, meaning when a man is singing, there's no question that a woman can daven. That's just not a halachic issue. And of course, that's what happens in every shul with a chazan davening, etc. So that's not a question. But in the second context, which is the more sexual context, if there's a man singing and an inappropriate, we have to define what that means, and it's subjective, um, but an inappropriate environment, then yes, absolutely. The post scheme are very clear that the mitzvah of lois asuru, which is the, the inappropriate thoughts that here, Huruma relates to men and to women. 
um, in a different way, maybe in the way they process it. But Rav Moshe Feinstein, Rav Vosner, Rav Nasha Klein, many, many poskim have said clearly that there is a, a in principle, a problem if, if women are listening to a man singing in an inappropriate mm-hmm. Now, there is one posek, the Sefer Hasidim, um, that, that actually refers specifically to Kol Ish. He says this in uh, in section 614. It's easy to remember. It's straight after 613. Uh, he talks about uh, the issue of Kol Ish, and he says, and I quote from him, Shemi Kol Sheha Ish Muzhar Isha Muzharet. So if men have to be careful about listening to women, he says, so women also have to be careful in these circumstances about listening to men. Now, it's not the same. Hazal assumed, and I think still reasonably, even in today's society, that men and women process these things differently. And when, in, when, when it's men listening to women, we assume in a kind of low plug, a general application, that we're always going to have a problem. Even if a man says, right, says, well, it doesn't affect me, I'm used to it, etc. We say, no, I'm sorry. We assume that there's a Kol Isha problem. Is a debate. Are there any extreme circumstances where it wouldn't be an issue? Rav Moshe Lichtenstein has a very important article on that, but that's beyond what we're talking about now. But when it comes to women, really, you're talking about the context. Um, and then you've got to have to judge the context. Is it or isn't it? Obviously, there are situations when a woman can be listening to a man, which is fine. And there are other situations when it's not. So do we paskin Kol Ish? So Ravavadia says, there's a chuva, he says, no, we don't follow this Sefer Hasidim. Um, and there's always a question as to whether and to what extent the Sefer Hasidim, which is, who is a mystical, you know, uh, Rishan, he's not in the mainstream, if you like, of halachic thought, but he does, his psachim do in, you know, um, move into the Shulchan Aruch and, and to the extent that which we pass him that way. I would also mention that the Sefer Hasidim also says, Kol Ba'isha Erva is a broader question of any inappropriate mixing of men and women. And he uses that language in, in section 313. He says, if, if a young man, for example, is teaching women in a situation which crosses a line. And again, you're going to have to define what the line is. He says that's not correct because of, quotes, kolbe isha erva. So it, it also is a, a broader issue than just people listening to other people. So yes, in principle, women need to be aware of it. And there are Rashi Yeshiva who have spoken out and said that women can't just go to any concert they like and listen to men. They have to work out whether there is indeed an inappropriate nature to it. Okay, so we've gone through men going to women singing, obviously a problem, period. Uh, that's Kolisha. Women going to men, we're not going to have a default prohibition of Kolish, but it may be problematic. Certainly, it's going to be a subjective analysis when a woman who does have lewd thoughts, inappropriate thoughts, then it would be problematic because of and we also have the Sefer HaChesidim that seems to say that as a default, it's also problematic, but that's not how we uh, had mainstream sock. So let's get on to the question of women singing in front of women. Is that, uh, we don't have a Kolisha problem, we don't have a, a Kolisha problem. Is that where you were referencing before about more the Hashkafic issues that uh, we can talk about? Correct. We can definitely talk about that as to whether the whole environment of concerts and mass concerts are what we think is appropriate or recommended. Um, in terms of the pure halachic issues, there's clearly no problem of women listening to women singing. That's not a problem at all. But let's not forget, there is always the other side, which we have not yet talked about, which is the singer, the perspective on the singer, is it appropriate for women to be singing? And that's a much broader topic, which is one of the sneers. And it's not just a question of women singing in front of men. There's obviously going to be a very different 
dynamic there. But even when it comes to women uh, singing in front of women, I'm not saying that there's a problem, but it has to be addressed and thought through as to what is the nature, the context, the environment, and whether it is uh, a tanur or not. Now, sneers is a complicated issue. I've just written a whole book on it, like you kindly mentioned. Um, And we can talk about that independently, but I think that is a topic that needs to be thought through. And also for men, if a man is going to sing in front of an audience of women, and indeed of men, there are many men that would feel it was not Sanua for them as an individual to stand up and sing in front of a crowd of anybody, forget about whether they're men or women. So that's a question we mustn't forget about. But from the women's listener question, no problem women listening to women, certainly not. Okay, very good. So let's go on to how we're having a women's performance, a singing performance. It's only women attending, but maybe we have men in a band or working as technicians or taking the uh, the cards, the tickets when people come in and they can hear the Kol Isha, is there a heter for them? Maybe they're involved in the work or or uh, Kol Isha is something that is certainly alluring and maybe there's uh, not a heter for that. Right. So it depends on the context. Um, there is, as you mentioned, a concept of Oisek B'malachtam, that they are doing their work, they're focusing on their job, they don't want to lose their job, they're not going to do anything inappropriate, um, and therefore we, we don't have a problem, they don't have a problem. The extreme example of that, obviously, is doctors, a male doctor who is involved in examining a female patient, there's clearly no problem, we say that the doctor is doing their job, a male nurse physical therapist, etc. Um, on the other side of the scale, there's a whole bunch of chuvas about lifeguards. Uh, if men are lifeguards on beaches, at pools, Rav Moshe has a chuva where he's not at all happy with a, a male lifeguard with uh, the women, even if it's just women swimming in, in the pool. And um, some posts can say, well, there's a difference between a pool where there's not much going on, but people chatting and the sea where the, the lifeguard really is looking carefully because God forbid any minute someone could be in trouble. Um, so lifeguards is a question. Musicians and technicians, um, I'll tell you, Rabbi, you probably don't know this. I'm also a musician um, and I uh, and I have also played in different musical environments. Uh, the musician is focusing on playing his music. He's not listening to anybody singing. There's a lot of things going on. It's very stressful. I don't think there's any problem with the musician focusing in other ways. The technicians, I'm not sure, probably not. I'm not a post-sec, but the, the, the key thing for the woman is just because there are male sound technicians there, I don't think that necessarily affects the singer's sneers context. I mean, she's not singing to them. She's not singing in front of them, giving a performance to them. And therefore their presence there doing their job, whether it is or isn't a call isha is a question for the man. Probably not, but maybe in some situations. I don't think it's an issue for the woman because it doesn't really change the framework. Right. There also could be a distinction when it comes to being a lifeguard. Your job is to look at the women. That's what you're doing. Right. You're making sure they're safe. You are looking at them. That right. is what you're hired to do, and here you're hired right. to do other activity. There's also an issue that being a lifeguard is bikuach nefesh as well. So, yeah. whereas being a sound technician is not. So, all these things have to be weighed up. Right. So, let, let's go on to uh, maybe a potentially bigger claim against a women's performance is uh, hosting the songs online. Obviously, that's a good way to get your name out there, to publicize yourself, and also for people to benefit and enjoy your singing. And that's uh, a very positive thing and it can be posted on whatever medium online i think there's something called youtube that a lot of people post on and whatever else that that they post on and the question is then you're putting yourself out there you're putting your songs out there you're singing out there your kalisha out there and men can come you're not inviting them you're not uh telling them to come but it's open to everyone and then we have a question of is there maybe a leaf naive or a messiah 
Yeah, typically we'd say leaf neighbor is when you're handing somebody the nausea wine to drink. You're actively being involved there. You're handing uh, something of Vodazar, somebody who's going to use it for Vodazar. But here you're being, I don't know, is that maybe more passive? You're just putting up there and somebody has to go to the site or maybe you are being active because you are uh, posting it for people to see. So what would you say? Do we have a, maybe a leaf neighbor or Misayeya issue when it comes to posting Kalisha songs and videos online? Um, that's a good question. I think that's the second secondary question, we need to address it, which we will. Don't forget that the primary question for this woman who is posting online is, is it Sanua for her to be posting a video online? Now, the fact that there may be men listening or not listening, she could put a, you know, a disclaimer, this is for women only, we could talk about that as well. But that's the, the Kol Isha question is on, is on the people who are listening. Let's just focus for a second. Yeah. Is it or is it not Sanua for somebody to, uh, to post online in that way? Um, so there you're not dealing with a black and white issue. And uh, Sneas itself is a combination of one's own sense of dignity. And again, the book brings this out and, and understanding what isn't, isn't, isn't as is and isn't appropriate. For you, it may depend on their age. It may be depend on their community position. Obviously, what's appropriate for the Rebbitson may be different um, for, you know, a younger member of the community who is not the Rebbitson. And therefore, people have to think of, of that angle for them. Is this dignified and appropriate for them. And then on a communal level, there may be a Das Yehudis. It may be that even though they feel it's not an issue for them, that in the community of women that they live in and the general community, this is just not something that women would consider appropriate. Um, and I can't yeah. answer question because it really depends on the woman and the community. Dasi Hudis is not the same for every community. And therefore, I think a woman would have to ask uh, ask herself those two questions first, which is, is this appropriate for me, given who I am and who I aspire to be? And even if I think it is, is there a broader reason why the women in this community and the community itself would consider this inappropriate, undignified, uh, non-Sanua behavior? So that, that's the first question. And what's right for some people may not be right for other people. Yeah, but Rabbi Manning, on, on that point, there's a book that came out, it's called Reclaiming Dignity, <laughs> a guide for Tzniyas for men and women. And note that it says men first before women. So would we have the same issues and the same discussion when it comes to men posting their videos online? Definitely. It'll work differently for, for men than for women. But a, a, a man would definitely be a correct to sit and ask himself the question, I'm putting myself out there, I'm going to be a very public figure. Is this is this appropriate? Is this is this who I am? Is this who I want to be? Is there something something unseemly in, in where I'm going to be splashed all over the newspapers or the magazines, etc.? Um, I think that is definitely a question a man has to ask. And as a performer, especially live, that is very much a question. Now, male performances have obviously evolved. You know, if you think about male Jewish music singers, 100 years ago, these were chazan you know, so you're talking about a chazan singing. We've gone, we've moved a long way, not necessarily in a good direction. That's a value judgment, but we've moved a long way from chazanut. Um, you know, 30 years ago, the male singers on stage were kind of chazanim who also did singing. But now you have basically male Jewish, you know, from rock stars uh, who are out there being rock stars. And the question is, before we get even into the question of whether it's appropriate for the people to listen, is that right for them? And, and people have to ask that question, you know, to themselves and bounce that off their family and friends. But sneers for sure applies to whether men feel this is appropriate for themselves. But let's just talk about your Lifne Iver question so we don't forget it. Let's say the woman decides, takes advantage 
advice and and yes let's say it is appropriate for her to put something out there um and it says this is for women only and this is not for men to listen to if men decide to listen to that is there a lifnei iver um, problem now lifnei iver is a mitzvah ben adam lachavero it's an interpersonal law every jew should be concerned and considerate as that, that their behavior is not negatively impacting other people making them make the wrong decisions doing Averis, etc. But Lifnei Ivar is not the foundation of Tzniyas. This is something that's very important. Women are not using men's reactions as the baseline to decide whether something is or is not Sanu. I'll give you an example. It says very clearly in the Gemara, same Gemara we mentioned before, if a man looks at a woman's little finger inappropriately, then that's that's a serious prohibition. But women don't have to cover their little fingers in order to stop men from looking at them. That is ultimately the man's responsibility. Men are responsible for what they listen to and what they look at. So I would say that once a woman has you know, decided like we said before, that the seller say this is an appropriate Sanua thing for her to do, then if she says, and I think it's appropriate to say that this video is intended for, you know, for women only, um, then I think then if men listen to it, I don't think that's the woman's responsibility anymore. It's their responsibility, the man's responsibility as to how he, you know, how he views things and what he looks at. Okay, so very good, very clear. If we can go back to um, a question of a woman going to a performance by a male singer or male singers. And oftentimes, as you mentioned, we're, we're not, we don't have chazanim going uh, and singing nowadays, so we, maybe also, but it, you equated this more to a, a rock a rock performance. I think I think that's the word, rock performance. Yeah, rock star, whatever. I mean, I'm probably old-fashioned using that expression, but whatever. A, a real secular performance. And the question then is, if women are going to see men performing, not just singing, but performing, is it appropriate for them to go, for them to see the men dancing in front of them? And does it depend on the age or marital status of the girls that are attending? Better if you're married or elderly. And does it depend on the age marital status, dress, and the like of the men who are singing, dancing, and performing in front of them. Because as uh, as does occur with especially younger girls, teenage girls, indeed, that may be of interest to them in an in- inappropriate way. Right. And you even have it as extreme as uh, when you have a, a Rebbe. And you may grapple with this in the seminary, a Rebbe who's young and attractive, and there can be issues. And I'm not even talking from the Rebbe's perspective, just from the girls and their interest in the Rebbe. Sometimes that is problematic, and that's in a more clean and appropriate setting. And this is more dancing and, and singing and performing. So would there be a problem then girls, women going and seeing the men singing? Okay, so good. Let's unpack those separately, uh, all good questions. So as we said before, in principle, women are bound in the same way or, or in a parallel way, let's say, by the mitzvah. And so, yes, if there is a concert where there is a line that is crossed and the environment uh, you know, passes from one which is, you know, fun and appropriate and exciting, which is fine, to inappropriate and overtly sexual, which is not fine. And I, I can't define where that line is. It's, 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 you can't put it in writing. You kind of know it when you see it. Then yes, that line has been crossed. And it's a problem for the man because of his sneered. There's, it's just completely inappropriate for him to be doing that. And it could well be a problem for the women. Again, we don't see women in the same way as men in certain sense that call Isha. The men is a kind of cross the board. For women, it will be 
depend on the circumstances. And like you said, all of the factors are relevant. The age of the people, the age of the performer, the dress, the performance, the style, the dance. And again, you can't produce a list of rules. The thing of SNEAS is the, 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 the exciting aspects of the mitzvah and also the, the, the challenging aspect is you can't just distill it down to a list of dress code rules. You'll get it wrong if you try and do that. This is mishpatim, not hukim. And therefore you need to really work out the values that are going into this decision. It's not going to be black and white. Uh, calling it Jewish music, I don't think, is not a whitewash. A lot of things now are very binary. If it's non-Jewish music, it's bad. If it's Jewish music, it's good. Um, that's very oversimplified. The Rambam, actually, in the Perush HaMishnah, very explicitly says, in Avos, he says he's very irritated by people who, when they go to weddings, somebody plays an Arabic song, and everybody goes, oh, no, you can't play that. It's it's Gosha music. It's not Jewish music. Even if it's appropriate, even if it's, you know, a wholesome song, and yet the minute they play, quote-unquote, Jewish music, the Rambam says this, then, oh, it's fine, it's Jewish music. You can't get a pass because it's Jewish music, and it's not just possible because it's non-Jewish music. You have to look at the context and see what what kind of music it is, what kind of performances, etc. So I think when it comes to, um, you know, concerts, I'm sure many of them are done very well. Um, I'm sure some of them are close to the line. Some of them may even cross the line. Everybody has to, to be thinking, you know, about that. When it comes to a Rebbe in a classroom, then obviously it's it's different because you're in an, an you should be in an environment of yeah. Torah. And, and teaching Torah can't be compared to a concert environment. However, you're 100% right, and boundaries have to be um, respected. And in all of the seminaries that I've ever teach, taught in, including the one that I, I run, there are very clear boundaries in, in how, you know, the Rebbe presents in front of the students, you know, that they're not just walking around the room and lounging yeah. on the tables, and um, that they're, you know, presented in a way which is, you know, keeps this sense of distance at the same time as making connections. The key thing is to make the cerebral connection with the, with the person without crossing the line of making any kind of physical connection. I don't mean touching, God forbid, but in, 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 in a pro physical presentation. Um, and therefore, you know, people have to be clear. Uh, Yichud is a key thing people have to be very clearly aware of. Um, and I've taught in places where they've even issued me in advance with a clear written page, a whole page of guidelines that the following topics are not appropriate for a ready to discuss, the following topics are going to have to be checked with us. And, you know, I, I can see the benefit in that. I can see the clarity and the transparency in that. And yes, it's a factor, not the same as constants, but it needs to be borne in mind for sure. So let me ask you one final question that may actually wrap together everything we've been speaking about. A, a young lady, a woman has a choice between going to a male singer concert performance and a female performance. And, and, and as you talked about, when going to a male concert, Meek or Dean, we don't really poskin that there's a problem of Kol Isha, but even if we don't poskin that way, there could be concerns of Hirhurim and the like, and we still have the Sefer Hasidim that is dangling out there. On the other hand, going to a woman's concert, we do not have a problem of Kol Ish, we don't have a problem of Kol Isha, and regardless, either concert, we have the Tznia's concerns. So assuming right. it's an appropriate concert, everyone's dressed appropriately. There is dancing, there is singing. That's what we're there for. Which would be better? Which would be better from a halachic and ashkafic perspective? So I think in most situations, the women's concert for women would be a preferable option to a men's concert for women. I'm not saying that a men's concert for women is wrong. It's not. I and mean, it might be fine in many circumstances. But I think that, that many women feel, and this has been a, a trend in recent years, that, that there are women yeah. performers that are out there that, that really want to you know, connect from women to women. And they feel a sense of you know, enrichment in being at the concert. Uh, and all the halachic issues that we discussed
discussed before, um, they certainly begin to, you know, move away when you're dealing with women uh, talking to women or singing to women, I should say. So I think the women's concert is better, but we have to, you know, address the Hashkoffer question. And if, is, is this the way that we want the community to, to go? Do we think it's a good thing on balance? having women's concerts for women, or do we think it's a bad thing? Now, clearly there are different opinions on this because there have been different rabbinic, you know, approaches to this over the last months and years. And the Tznias issue is relevant, and I know you'll be... The question is, do we feel that, you know, we want to ban these concerts? Do we feel it's a, a useful thing for the community to do that? And I, I think that's an important question. Hashkafic issues are not um, irrelevant. Hashkafas basically are halachic values. We can't just be focused on halachic details, they're critical, but halachic values are also very, very important. And therefore, we need to we need to kind of work that out. Um, look, I think that there are definitely people who feel that the whole concert environment is not part of Amasora, classical Jewish, you know, culture. This has been imported from the non-Jewish world. And to some degree, that's clearly the case. But the Jewish world has moved in the sense that there are now things that in the Jewish music scene that were not happening 50 years ago, but which are considered now part of the from Jewish music scene. And if there are people who want to ban those, they have to ask themselves a very important question. You know, in the religious, in any religious society, but certainly in Jewish Orthodox society, there, there can sometimes be a tendency for us to be a little bit, you know, in denial. We think that we're much frumer than we really are, and we think that everybody else around us is much frumer than they really are. And okay, living in denial is is a bad enough problem when it comes to our own personal growth, but when it comes to making chinuch decisions, it can be a disaster. Meaning, if we take the view that our girls, quotes and quotes, shouldn't be exposed to that kind of environment, we have to be very, 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 very sure that whoever our girls are, are not already exposed to that effectively, or are going to be exposed to that. And it's extremely difficult to ring fence, you know, our children in our community, just driving down the highway, looking at the billboards, you're always going to be exposed to things. And therefore, I think uh, if we make a decision which is incorrect, uh, and say that we don't want to expose people where in fact they're already exposed and they need the role model of the from woman giving the concert. Otherwise, we're asking them to turn to the non-Jewish equivalent, which is way, 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 way worse. And therefore, we have to really be careful in making that chinuch call because if we make it wrong, we're pushing our young women into the hands of non-Jewish cultures without meaning to, but we will we will do that. And that will be a very, very negative outcome. It seems that what you're saying is the uh, risks of saying no may be worse than the risks of saying yes. Depending on the community. For, I'd say for most communities, and I'm talking about in the from world, in the Beis Yaakov world as well, a lot of young women are exposed to a lot more than people think they are. And they have to be very, very honest. You know, people have the kosher phone in one pocket and there's its smartphone in the other pocket. And I've seen this and I know this. And therefore, as long as we're being honest, yes, there may indeed be a community for whom this is not the right environment and we shouldn't be encouraging it. There may well be. I hope there is. But I think that um, actually most of the community that we're realistically dealing with are not holding in that place. And let's not pretend that they are. Let's give them the chinuch they need to have wholesome connections to Jewish values. Um, even if it's not the ideal, it's certainly better than something which is very negative. Rabbi Manning, I want to thank you so much for joining us. We've covered a tremendous amount in a short amount of time and uh, certainly it was very interesting and really appreciate all of your insights, experience and learning. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rabbi Aaron.
Joining us now is Rebitson Esty Hamilton. Rebitson Hamilton is a renowned teacher to thousands of women worldwide. She has taught in and has also run seminaries, and she's also had significant involvement in Kirov. So she's been involved in Kirov Rechokim and Kirov Krovim. She is actually in the process of moving from London to Miami. Miami is in the United States of America, where she will be the president, where she will be the principal of high school, maybe the president also, uh, but she'll start with the principal of the high school. Rebitson, thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for inviting me. So Rebitson, we are talking about, I think it's a new trend. I only heard about it recently, but uh, a new trend with women performances, women performing for others, uh, primarily singing, maybe uh, it's other types of performances as well. And uh, the most fundamental question that I'd like to start with is why would young girls, let's talk about seminary girls or high school girls, why would they prefer to go to a women-only concert that's with a woman singer as opposed to male, or would they prefer to go to a male performer? So walk us through the thought process if a girl comes to you and says, I'm analyzing, I have a conflict, I have a male performance, whoever it may be, on the same night as a female performance, and I need help walking through a detriments and benefits of going to here or going to there. Okay, so I'm very excited to speak about this topic because it's it's not really a, a new thing, meaning there have always been women singers in Klaistral. And when I was younger, we always used to sit together and have concerts together. And there's always the girl in the class that had the most beautiful voice who would sing. I think you're right in saying that this is what's become a new trend or what's been growing a lot is female performers. That means female singers have always been around for hundreds and thousands of years. Even in Torah, it talks about how, you know, the, there have been women singers this is not a new idea but female performers is a whole different idea and that is women who have stage presence who enjoy being on the stage who have that charisma and that's that's in addition to having a good voice. That means there's hundreds of girls that have beautiful voices, but there are few girls who are actually performers who have that magnetic energy that can get a crowd going, which is what you really need in order to be a performer. Um, I love this new trend. I have to say I love it. And I'll tell you why I love it so much. Um, for as long as I can remember, I've been going to concerts of Mordechai Ben David and Avram Fried. And those were the popular ones when I was younger, so you can see how old I am. And then Shweki and Ezi. And what happens is, is that when you have a male from singer, they they usually have all the men and boys in the front and all the women much further back at the back because of Tzniya's reasons. I understand it. And what happens is as a girl, a teenage girl, I remember sitting in the back watching all these teenage boys jump and dance and even sometimes get on the stage with the singer and really get into it. Um, and these are all songs all these Jewish from songs are all songs to Hashem. They're all really tefillah. They're all pasukim. They're all songs about Emunah. They're all songs about Kedusha. They're all songs about Achdus of Klal Yisrael. This is amazing. And what happens is, is that you don't want to just sit and be a spectator in the service of Hashem. You want to actually be, you know, involved in it. And how can you be involved in it? You want to also jump and sing and dance before our Kaddish Baruch Hu. It's a little bit the same feeling that most women get when they're sitting in shul on Simchas Torah. Like all the men get to sit, stand and dance with the Sefer Torah and the women get to be spectators. But really the women want to say, I also love the Torah. I also want to dance before Hashem. I also want to sing before Hashem. It's not It's not only, and that's why, you know, one of the, my favorite pasukim in the Torah is that when Miriam Hanavia, she took a tambourine and she led the women out 
of Mitzrayim in song and dance. Why? Because when your neshama feels something, you want to express it with your whole body. When you're excited about something, you want to jump for joy. That's what you say, right? You want to really express it. But for Tznias reasons, even women who want to do that won't do that in front of other men, which is appropriate, and won't do it in front of a male singer, which is appropriate. But what happens is, is then you go to a concert and it ends up being a spectator sport. Whereas when there is a female performer on stage and she sings a song about Amuna, and you can stand up and you can dance and you can sing, in, it's not un- anymore when there's only women in the room and it becomes instead an intensely spiritual experience and actually I would highly recommend for women and you should just know these female performers they sing lots of cover songs of the male songs. So it's not only their songs, they sing songs that belong to the whole Israel. So any popular song, whether it's sung by a man or they've made it up, they will sing that song and everybody will sing along with them. And so basically, right? Exactly. That's, the men get it in the davening and the chuckling. And yes. uh, I get, I get and, that. And I, yeah, and I think it's important for women to experience that exhilaration that comes with that, definitely. Okay, very good. So, so uh, when it comes to the decision, obviously you're pro the uh, girls going. So, why would they go to a male concert? Are the benefits to going to that, or are their detriments? And and by the way, not not so related to that, but I have heard I haven't been to a concert for a number of decades. I don't, I can't recall having gone. I don't know in a long time. But but I do hear that when there are women and and men, um, women in the women's section, I do hear that women do get involved and start singing and dancing as well. Um, so that could cause a problem. For the men, possibly. So this is why a lot of times um, there'll be men-only concerts or men-only kumzits, or they'll say the men are going to sit on this part and the women get to only sit there because they are afraid of this. The 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 the, the I think the. The reason why people would go, women would go to a male concert is that that could be a family event. So if I would want to go with my husband and my children, with my boys, and we all want to experience this together, so then obviously I'm only taking them to a popular male singer because obviously they can't hear women sing. So if you want to have like a family outing on a Cholamoyed Sukkot to a Shweki concert or to a Mordechai Shapiro concert, then that makes sense. You've got boys, you've got girls. When you have a mixture of people, you can only go to a male concert. But when it's just the woman who wants to go or just the teenage girls who want to go, if they want to really have that experience it's much more geschmack for them to go to a women's only concert because then they can actually be part of the experience and not just the spectator right so uh, your distinction between female singers and performers i think is important and it's it's interesting that you uh you divided it accordingly because uh some rabbanim a minority small minority have come out against and it's probably they've come against the performances yes. so the performances walk us through what's it like i've obviously never been to one and never will be to one so what's the performance like and what's the detriments what what does it look like and uh is it all singing is it are they dressed sanua what could be the problems in in jewish values of going to a female performer performance yes so i think it's because no man has been to one that they have this imagination that the women's performance is, is somehow different. So I've been to both male concerts and female concerts. And I can tell you in terms of the performance, there's no difference. That means if they're all from Jews, both the man and the woman, the women are dressed sanua. They do have dress changes. So they'll wear four or five different dresses, but every dress is totally sanua. There's nothing inappropriate happening. All the songs are very, uh, you know, very halig, if you want to say very spiritual, very much, uh, you know, they're all 
Jewish songs, there there is actually no difference. There's also, you know, like when you go to any kind of concert, there's all the, the lighting on the stage and all the different backgrounds that you have on the stage and all the different, the band that you have. It's exactly the same for a women's concert as for the men's concert. So any concert you've been to, for men, it's exactly the same, just, just uh, exchange all the men for women. So in fact, for example, Bracha Jaffe, she has an all women's band. She has a woman playing the drums and a woman playing the, sometimes it used to be that they would say, but we can't have a woman singer because all the band will be men and they can't hear us singing or we can't have an, a, a women's a woman performer because there's men who have to do lots of different things but now that women have been trained to do all these things you can actually have an all-female band with a female singer there is nothing halakhically wrong and also not even batam you know sometimes you say that there is the law there's the mitzvah and then there's the spirit of the law that means like you you can you're not breaking any halachas but it doesn't feel like very from that's not true for these female performers all the the concerts that i've been to with female performers it feels from there is not only the law but also the spirit of the law that means nothing untoward is happening and i think that there is a fear by the rabbonim that have come out against this there is a fear that we are come somehow it's just not sanua as at all to have a woman on any stage even if it's only with women only by women only for women the fact that she is on a stage at all is negged sneers and i would say that that is hashkafically krum i would say that that is not true at all um i would say that a woman on a stage who is singing praises songs for Hashem, who is igniting, uh, um, you know, emuna and bitachan and joy for Klai Yisrael, for all these women. She's she's doing such an important thing for Klai Yisrael. She's like Miriam Hanavia with with a tambourine. She's there is no difference, and I think it's very important for us to encourage that. There is a, a, t- a totally separate issue, um, which is that they're saying that these women are putting out videos of their performance online. And and this has seems this seems to be I think really the crux of the issue that no one's willing really to talk about. <laughs> um, uh, the reason is, is because these women, um, they're very popular singing, their songs are beautiful and they make a music video like Mordechai Shapiro makes a music video or Ari Goldwag will make a music video. So you'll have Bracha Jaffe make a music video. And it's beautiful. Let's say for one of her songs, she got all these little girls to come and sing with her in a forest. It was stunning. It was a very slow, beautiful, meaningful song. And it was just in a beautiful um, field. And it was so inspirational. The music video was inspirational. But how does she disseminate it? Just like every other performer, she puts it on YouTube. And there's there's no real way to stop other people watching it Meaning you can write on it before the video starts. This is for women only. Call Isha for women only. But you can't really stop somebody else from watching it if they want to. Just like you can't really stop somebody else from doing any Avera if they want to do it. You can tell them this is an Avera and they'll still go ahead and do it. Um, but they can't stop them. And therefore, there seems to be kind of like a, a nervousness, but you're putting it out there for everyone. And they're saying, actually not. We're putting it out there just for women. And if a man can't stop himself, he also probably won't stop himself looking at many other things. And that's not my problem. So so then we have this issue, like is Sneas my responsibility? Is, is, is other peers? people sneer it's my responsibility is it their responsibility do i have to take responsibility for them and this is like a whole separate debate all about sneers uh, and generally it's put very heavily on the from women that it's their responsibility to make sure other people have shmiras and other people have shmiras of mitzvahs and women 
in this generation are wholesale rejecting that. And right. they're just saying, I'm a Tsanua woman. I dress Tsanua. I behave Tsanua. I do things in a Tsanua way. And I therefore can't be responsible responsible for other people's Shmira Seinayim. Well, we have that discussion also in other contexts, independent of the performances when it comes to dress in general, how should girls dress when going to school? Yes. And uh, one of the things that they're told, or the primary thing that they're told is that the boys are looking, so you're responsible for they're not looking. Right. And I guess the same thing that we have in the posting, because that, that's really not a claim when it comes to the independent performances in separate halls when that's men right. are around. Exactly. And, and you're pointing out that that's something specific to if they're posting the videos on YouTube. And then we get into the question of, is it a leaf naive or a messiaya for right. the men looking? And when you maybe when you post something that says from women only, maybe that makes it more enticing <laughs> for the men to want to to watch it. Uh, so so maybe, maybe. But, uh, I don't know. I think, do you have to be responsible for everybody else to have integrity? I don't, I don't think that, the, I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that after 120 years, Hashem's going to say to me, you know, that man who lived down the street, it's your fault that he did X, Y, and Z. No, it's not. He, everybody in the Torah has to take responsibility for their own actions. I can never say somebody else made me do it. If you do an action, you can't then say that person made me do it and not accept any responsibility because you have to take responsibility for every action that you make. So I don't think that we can really say it, but I think that if you're asking me what's the real issue or why Rabonim and generally whenever there's a ban or why the people are getting nervous is they're saying you're encouraging these women to put put out more music videos online. This inherently is not Sanua. This could be a big stumbling block um, for other men and they should not be doing that. So if we ban their concerts, maybe we can stop them doing that. I don't know. Maybe that's something that's kind of like a correlation, I think. Right. Let's talk about role models because uh, one thing that I was told in, in uh, researching this topic uh, was that these are positive role models for our our younger younger girls. It could be high school, seminary, or for for women as well. That the performers, if we're choosing the performers correctly, if they're dressed tanua and they're performing correctly, and I understand that there are occasionally divrei Torah and tehillim and the like. I I I've just yes. told hold that and you can confirm it. Um, so what what's it like about girls looking up? Is this a positive role model? Is this a negative role model? Somebody's out there and performing admittedly in front of the girls. Um, walk us through your thoughts on that. It's such a good question because you're saying to me that every performer that comes on stage, we're saying that those women have to be perfect role models. I think First of all, there's no such thing as a perfect role model, role model, meaning that every single person is working on different Yetzirahs in their own life. And therefore, you can say that somebody is your role model in this or in this or in this. But when we put one person up on a pedestal and say that they're great, everything, we're, we're, you know, we're asking to be disappointed because everybody has their faults. Everybody will trip on something. Everybody, you know, you can't say anyone's a perfect anything. And interestingly enough, um, no one ever asked this about the male performers. No one asked, is Mordechai Shapiro, a wonderful role model in every way. I don't know him. I don't know his personal life. I love his songs. We sing them in my house all the time. I have his music videos out there, but I don't think I've ever had one podcast where we ask ourselves, is he the... And I'm just picking him because he's one of the most popular singers in my house, in my own personal house. I'm not picking on him, but I can pick on anyone and I can say, is are there, does their personal life, you know, are they, you know, reflective... Of, of all the goodness that I want my children to see. And if not, then I won't put their music on. Or will I just say, 
they they produce beautiful music it's very heartsick i love it i think it's aligned with my values i want my if my kids are dancing around my house to a song i want it to be this song and not that song and and have i checked into every part of his life no i haven't but i'm assuming from his songs that that he is not this or that or the other but Sometimes we have seen any number of people that have been put on pedestals and, and, and then 20, 30, 40 years later, they suddenly get taken to court and been accused of so many other things. And you think, oh my gosh, have I been reading their books? Have I been listening to their music? Have I been, have I been somehow, you know? And, and so the answer is you never know really, truly who anybody is. And you can only really, really judge per- by the externals and therefore if I see these from women who perform and they dress Sanua and they speak with sincerity and they they look like genuine people I I I'm not going to check into them any more than that you know but if they come on stage and they uh, you know they are dressed maybe not Sanua or they, they they speak in such a way that is not any more aligned with my values then I probably will choose no longer to listen to them and there's some Jewish musicians who I will not mention on on, on this podcast who I don't let my children listen to because I think that they are totally insane. I don't know. They even present as crazy and they say, you know, this is my artistic expression. And I think to myself, well, I don't want that artistic expression in my house. So I just won't put it on for my kids and I won't listen to it because it's not aligned with my values. Um, And I think every person has to make that choice for themselves. So yes, these women are role models. Why? Because we're putting them on a stage. Um, Any women in a leadership position is a role model because you're putting them on a stage. You're saying that that's my Robertson or that's my Mora or that's the singer. And as soon as you put somebody on a stage, everybody will look at them and then people will obviously judge them. (laughs) Oh, but they do do this or but they don't do that. They do do this. So then all I have to say is, you know, you have to trust a person as much as you can. Uh, You know, right? You should trust, trust. And if you feel that their music is aligned with you and their actions are aligned with who you want to be and, and the role model, the kind of role model you want for your children, then do put the music on your house. And if you don't, you're also free not to. <laughs> Everybody can have that free will decision for themselves. Right. So uh, on the one hand, they certainly are a role model in the sense that they're dressed properly. It must be 120 degrees out or for you, yes. four, three. 340, I don't know what it is, 45 degrees Celsius. So so they're hot and they're dressed on new uh, and they're saying to him, and that in of itself is, is a wonderful thing. On the other hand, the question is, so what's the alternative if if the young ladies are or and 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 young women and women don't have these ladies to look up to the the singers to the performers where are they alternatively finding their role models out there and this is i think really the saddest uh, part of this whole debate and i think the most shocking really is that when we when when any community says we don't want these female performers, it's not so no, we're gonna cancel this or we're gonna cancel that because no, we're not gonna do it in our community. You know, you're leaving you're leaving lots of women and girls with no other option but to look for goisha role models because they do want to sing and they do want to dance and they do want to feel connected to the music that they're listening to. And if you're not giving them the Jewish stuff, so they'll go straight to the non-Jewish stuff. I remember we were having in London a debate about the Bracha Jaffe concert was coming to London for a second time. She'd come already once. It was very, very successful. She came for a second time and suddenly Samra Bonim got involved. No, we don't know. We don't think. Da, da, da. And so I was in a room. We, I was at a conference in a room with about 200 Rabonim Robertsons and educators at a conference that we do once a year in London. And there was a few Rabonim on stage. And one of them was Rabbi uh, Moshe Weinberger from, I think he's from Monsi. I think he's from, he's from America. And he had come as the guest speaker for this event. And he was on the panel with a few other Rabonim. And this whole 
question came up, the Bracha Jaffe concert in London, that's about to be thing, and some people have banned it, and what do you think? So the English Rabbanim had some interesting things to say, and then Rabbi Moshe Weinberger said, listen, I don't want to speak to this specific issue, because I'm not from London, I'm from America, and I don't really know the specific context for this, but I want to tell you something about us in America. We've already figured out that the teenagers, they're looking for the fun. And if we don't find them, if we don't show them, or we don't provide for them kosher fun, they'll go find non-kosher fun. They're looking for the fun. So make sure the fun is happening right here. <laughs> and so he said, I don't know, I can't comment on this issue, but we try as much as we can to bring women like Bracha Jaffian or Shane D. Plotzka or, or any of these women. We try as much as we can to get these from female performers to come and sing and dance with our teenage girls because we know that teenagers are looking for the fun. And right. we, we want to make it as fun as we can. We want Yiddishkeit to be as joyful, as embracing, as exciting as we can make it. And this is, you know, this is what we figured out. So I thought that was an interesting that, that is a very important insight, very good insight. But I, I do want to re-ask my question, but limited in the following sense. If we're talking about girls who are more from the base Yaakov or even on the right side of the base Yaakovs, that they may or may not be on social media, uh, how do they find their role models? And maybe these performances are a negative for them. So would you say that they also are in it for the fun? They're also looking out there or maybe they're living a more sheltered life and maybe uh, at least for that group, um, this is uh, something that should be limited. So I am a Beisiakov girl. I went to Beisiakov my whole life and I was also in it for the fun. And I think it's a mistake to make, to think that the former you want are the less happy you're allowed to be or the more depressed you should be, um, or that as a teenage girl, even if you're very firm and sheltered, that you still don't want to sing and dance. I don't know any girls like that, really. I know that these female performers also have social media, but you don't have to have social media in order to go to a concert and dance and sing. You don't You don't have to have, to have that. So I don't think it necessarily comes hand in hand. Um, I think that it's 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 as important, if not more important. You know, they say that there is there is chinuch and then there is kirov, but isn't all chinuch kirov nowadays? I think that that's like a given. Isn't every parent trying to be makar of their own child? Isn't every teacher trying to be makar of the pupils yeah. in their class, however from they are? Aren't we all? Aren't we? If it isn't every chinuch kirov, in which case, um, I think that would make a very good case to have uh, women come and sing songs. Sing beautiful Jewish from songs, Pesukim, Tehillim, and get people, get people's whole guf. You know, your neshama and your guf should be in service of Hashem. And I just, it is, it is a pillar to me um, that educators in this generation would think that they're, they're doing, that, that, that they're somehow protecting their, their girls by banning them from going to such a from event. Um, I, I think that. It is, it is very tone deaf of our generation, even in the frumest circles. And if you ask Racha Jaffe, she'll tell you she's been many, many times to Williamsburg, which I understand. I'm not American, but I understand it is like a Hasidish enclave um, and that she's invited there many times. And I think actually um, the Hasidim are very excited to have a woman that they can bring in, that they can sing and dance with their girls. I don't, I, I don't think that the frumer you go, the more depressed you should be or sad or the less the less you should be part of, you know, part of a Yiddishkeit that speaks to you and speaks to your heart and soul and gets you happy and excited. I don't, I can't see the downside. 
Right. Very good. Well, Rebetzin, I want to thank you so much for joining us. And you should have tremendous atzlacha in your, from London to the United States of America to Florida. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you and seeing all the great things that you do with the, the school that you're joining. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. Joining us now is Rabbi Zev Lev. Rav Lev is a renowned posek, a lecturer, a Rosh Yeshiva, a Rosh Kolel. He's an author of a number of Svarim, and he also teaches in a number of girls' seminaries, very relevant to our topic, because he's really in touch with the needs of today's Benos Yisrael. Rav Lev, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, and it's always a pleasure to uh, to uh, be connected to headlines. Thank you, Rav Lev. So, Rav Lev, I'd like to ask a, a general, broad question that may impact all of our conversation today, and, and that is, what are the gedarim of the Pasuk we say in Tehillim called Kudabas Melech Pnima? What are the gedarim? Is that the same as Tznias? Does that change over time? And uh, times change, I would think. How does it apply nowadays? Okay, I, I think that using Tznias perhaps as a uh, as an example of what Kol Kibuda Bas Melech Pnima means, Tznias means that one emphasizes the inner value and spiritual value of things and not the external values. And therefore, there's a tremendous difference between doing things that are attracting and things that are attractive. A man or a woman can dress in an attractive way. They don't have to dress like a schlub, but the manner of dress should not be attracting and um attract attention to the externals of the person. That is what Sneha says. People can do things that are public things to do. In fact, Chazal say that Sneas is most important by things that are done um, externally and publicly, like um, funerals and, uh, and weddings or whatever. At the same time, a person does something that is uh, external, public, should do it in a way that is attractive and proper, at the same time not attracting um, and attracting specifically to the externals of that thing. Same thing with Kol Kavudah A woman's role in Torah is a more supportive role, a role, uh, like they say in the secular world, behind every great man is a great woman. She's behind, she's in the background, and that is her um, uh, her respect and her greatness is the fact that uh, she is in the background per, per se. However, those things that are normal to do publicly, and that really changes from place to place and from generation to generation, used to be that uh, women supported their family to a certain degree by doing things in the home, sewing, knitting, or whatever. Uh, as the Gemara says, those are the things that a woman is responsible to do um, to, to help and contribute towards the support of the family. However, today, that's not 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 possible uh, in order to be able to support a family. A woman has to go out and work in many places. She's out in the work in the workforce, right? Uh, she's out shopping. Right, not producing all the ingredients that they need for meals in the home. Right, the milking the cows and uh, and then churning the butter or whatever. She goes to the supermarket, and supermarkets are public places. So 
a woman's not doing anything that's attracting attention to her by going to the supermarket or by uh, by doing anything that's normal to uh, to for a woman to be in the public eye in that place and that time but she has to do it in a way that is to a certain degree unassuming not flaunting what she's doing, and that's called called Kavuda Basmelech Pinima. She doesn't have to necessarily remain in the house, but she has to be in the public eye in a way that can be very attractive, but not attracting. I very good. That so two, two major two two major points then attractive is good, attracting is not good, and also adhere to the norms of society. Right. Right. That time and that place. Now, d- does it only apply when women are interacting with men or can be seen by men? That's why we have don't be attracting. For example, would it apply when women are interacting with other women? That concept of called Kavuda Vasmelech Panima applies at all times, whether the woman is interacting with men or women. It has other implications when she's interacting with men um, from a uh, from a sexual standpoint and halachas that apply to that, but that concept of coke vudavasmelech panima applies also when she's when she's interacting only with women. But is she interacting in a way that is socially normal, or is she doing something that's flaunting something that's that's out of the ordinary? Right. So the next question then is: girls singing at a bas mitzvah party. So girls singing, women only there, and they're singing together. Could be the mothers join in as well. Okay, I think it's it's the norm in most beisiakos. Again, litvish beisiakos for sure for girls to sing. Not only that, but um, a lot of times they sing in a way that uh, it is heard by other people. They're not singing for other people. They sing in the school, and people pass by the school, right? Very difficult not to hear. So it behooves a man not to stand there and pay attention to the women singing, but to pass by, and that's not a problem. And the girls are allowed to sing or sing on a trip in the bus. Right. Even if the bus driver perhaps is a man, right? There are hectare for the woman to sing. The man is not supposed to uh, focus on the singing, do his job and finish. There's even to, to, to an extreme, a um, man, man lifeguard in a woman's pool. So there are those that say it's mother because he's busy with his job and therefore he's not going to focus on the women. Uh, that's hard to say, knowing what lifeguards are like in the right. So that that is a very, um, a very a questionable heter. But there is such a heter. So um, yeah, for so women singing uh, for only women, even where it's possible that outside they may be heard, right, is accept- an accepted thing, uh, almost uh, universal. Right, so let's take the next step, which is really our question of the hour, concerts for women only. So we have the singer who is female, the attendees are female, and let's assume that all of the songs, music, and dress are appropriate. Some of these uh, concerts, they say Tehillim, they have Divrei Torah, Chizuk. Would that be a problem, or is that more of a public uh, public event? I would uh, say with the fact that, that those things exist, and um, um, they are totally for women, not mixed concerts, even with men and women separate, where there is uh, opposition by some post game or whatever, for whatever reasons. I have never heard of an opposition of a woman being a, a singer for women only, using her talent as a, a singing talent, not suppressing it, 
um, I would imagine that that is something that is is okay. And if a, a, a young lady in seminary came to you and said, I, I have a opportunity to go see X male singer, but it's on the same night as X female singer, would you say there's a preference of going one, one over the other? Yeah, I would say the following. Um, and this is not, this is my understanding based on what I understand from my rebellion. And there are those that are, that disagree with what I'm going to tell you. Music is not, um, okay or not okay based on who produced the music. Um, there is a lot of what's called Goyish music. Let's call that um, classical music, even, okay? That I know very fine Rabbonim, Rashi Shiva, uh, permit that. For instance, um, someone who is an author during the three weeks, which is coming up now, when you're not allowed to listen to music, but someone who, because of his nervous situation or because he is depressed, needs to listen to classical music, right, in order to get out of his depression or whatever. So I know Hoskin and specifically Rebeim of mine uh, were matter, even in Oville, to listen to that kind of music, even during Sphere or during the three weeks or when they're in Oville, um, because it's not dance music or whatever. However, they didn't prohibit it because it's Goyish music, right? And um, the, the Meiri says, the Rambam says, the Rambam's son says, you could even learn things that Goyim said if it's not, not something that is apikursis or something that is not sanua. Right? So if you're allowed to listen to the words of Goyim, and even though they emanate from Goyim, who perhaps were not great tzaddikim, and that's okay. Listening to music that has no words, just because it was created by a goy, seems that it can't be usher. There are those who argue and say, no, music is different. It represents an isham of the person. However, music that the purpose of that music is to rile a person up to a frenzy and make him uninhibited, Forget all his inhibitions, and it sounds like something that would be played by natives in the jungle as they dance around a cauldron with somebody cooking in it, right? That music, even if it's composed by great Hasidisha people or Litvisha people, is in my estimation awesome. It's not the source of the music that makes it mutter awesome, it's the type of music that makes it awesome or mutter. So music that has lyrics that are prohibited because they're apicorsis or not sanu or whatever, no matter who composed them is also music that has no lyrics to it. But the music itself is there to make you uninhibited, even if the greatest chassid made that music. That's not chassidish music. That's native jungle music. And music that is uplifting, inspiring, no matter who wrote it, Right, is Lahore in my estimation okay to listen to? And based on the psukim that I have from Rebain that I respect. So uh, the, the Mamela, if she has a choice to go to a concert where the whole ruach of the concert is one of Yerushalayim and inspiring songs or whatever, it happens to be a woman who is 
leading that concert for a woman, or she has a chance to go to a nail concert, which is uh, with fireworks and with what's it called. Basically, if you didn't know that the person on the stage was a Frum Jew, you could think that he is a native in the jungle, right? Then she should go to the one that is more uplifting spiritually, whether it's the man or the woman is irrelevant. Okay, so uh, very good. So, so the next step then, after going to the performances and uh, female singers, is uh, posting of videos that oftentimes goes along with a performer. You have uh, in-person performances, live performances, and then you post your videos online, and that is to inspire others, have people enjoy your music, and uh, maybe also to if they have albums. I don't think that's the situation that we're talking about here, but uh, maybe that would be a, a, a conventional thing. So how about posting videos, uh, female singers, online? Online on uh, YouTube or wherever else these things are posted. Is that problematic? Should uh, the, the the woman singer not post because she's making her Kalisha available to men? Should it be the men that are responsible to not watch, to not listen? And if it is the onus on the uh, singer, on the female singer, would it be sufficient to post a Kalisha warning? Be warned that uh, this is Kalisha. If you are a man, don't listen. Yeah, okay. Without getting into the um, quagmire of posting things online altogether, right? And having things online, since we are right now doing something that is going to be online, I don't want to address that uh, directly. Okay, that is a separate uh, topic, which I did not agree to speak about. Um, <laughs> oh, sir. If there are people like us that do things online, and there are people that obviously watch it. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing this and posting it anywhere if nobody watches it. Right. So um, barring that, Shiloh, okay, putting things online. So um, a woman who puts online um, things that are permissible for other women, but not permissible for men. So first of all, there are opinions that say that if it's not live singing, and perhaps if you don't know the woman, and surely if there's no video, only audio, that it could be mother, according to some opinions. Personally, I hold that's not the case, but there are opinions that say that, legitimate opinions that listening to recorded music of a woman, well, let's assume that that's not the case. That's also for a man, even to listen to recorded music, even without a video. If the woman puts out that this is only for women, so a man who accesses it knows that this is something that is prohibited, and he's doing it anyway, then it's like a woman walking down the street, minding her own business, dressed properly, that man... Um, uses her to satisfy his fantasies. She is not guilty of anything, right? She's acting in a normal way, and uh, he's manipulating her in his mind. If, on the other hand, she walks down the street not dressed properly and attracts his attention, then she's a cause of his availability. So here, if it's not natural to put things online that are selective, that people should know that there are things that they can look at and things that not, which is obvious. There are plenty of things online or on YouTube or whatever that no man or woman should be looking at. So you have to be selective. If you're going to use that media, you have to know that there are things that are mutter and things that are also. Just like if you go into a butcher shop, right, there are things that are kosher, things that are not. And you have a responsibility to buy kosher food and not non-kosher food. So, um, and that therefore you're allowed to go into a supermarket where there are non-kosher things, right, because you'll make the right choices. Okay, so the, the if that's the case, 
then um, is understood that there are things on YouTube or whatever that are for women only and not for men. And a man who doesn't listen to that, the woman is not responsible. The man is responsible. Right. She said clearly, this is not for you. You're doing something that you're choosing to do on your own. I'm not causing you to do it. Uh, if it's put up in such a way that it's not clear or you're putting this in front of men and, um, and, and you're the cause of them doing something they wouldn't do without you, then that's a problem of Lefneiver, probably Messiahli de Obreavera. But if that's not the case, neither of those things apply, right? Um, then a woman, Lechara, can have a um, uh, something put up online that's only for women. And uh, if it's clear that it's only for women or men, takes that and sees that it says this is only for women, and he decides to ignore that, it's his problem. And not the woman's side. And so that warning, the Kolisha warning, would be necessary. Yes, yes. Okay, very good. Rav Lepp, I want to thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate your clarity and insights always. Thank you so much. Okay, it's a pleasure. Okay, Hatzlacha. Joining us now is Mrs. Bracha Jaffe. Mrs. Jaffe is a well-known musical performer who performs for women around the world. Mrs. Jaffe, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So it's good to hear the inside of what really goes on in the performances, and we look forward to that. But I'd like to start out with how you got into performing, and in particular, performing in public. So uh, how young were you, and uh, what happened? So I was very interested in music at a very early age. started playing piano at a very young age, and then when I was right before teenagehood, at 12 years old, I asked my mother for voice lessons. Uh, my parents were Baruch Hashem, very supportive of my hobby, and they only encouraged and, you know, continue to give me outlets to be able to express um, my love for music. And so I started performing, I would say I was in a girls choir at that age, um, at age 12, and started taking voice lessons. And then as I, you know, was doing great and shining in the choir, I was given other opportunities to sing alongside the person who was running the choir. And then at the time, also my teacher, Malthi Ginniger. And through that, Baruch Hashem, I started to get more and more experiences. And every time I did something, another door opened, and it sort of happened versus something that like I planned rather something that I just like organically, you know, it was a, an organic process. Uh-huh. And and nowadays, I, I understand that your primary occupation is, is nursing, you're a nurse practitioner, and singing, I guess, is more of an interest and a hobby. And that could be fairly disruptive of, of your schedule, I would think you're juggling kids, you're juggling a job. So what keeps you motivated? Because that's not an easy thing to juggle everything. So I'm, I'm actually going to correct you. So Baruch Hashem, I was, I was juggling being a nurse practitioner up until this year. When I left, you know, it did become, music did become more full-time and it did become something that I decided to pursue a little bit more because it was occurring more full-time. I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm doing something that I never thought I would, but I love doing it. And Baruch Hashem, I'm just going to, you know, dive right into this completely. And so I took a break from nursing recently and but at the time when I was juggling, you know, because it's just a little while ago, I was juggling nursing and singing. Um, it was a juggle. And so I would have to say, you know, no to things that just became too much. I, but I feel like I still do that. You know, I still create those boundaries when it's too much. And I'm saying, you know, it's just it was a balance of time at, the, at that time. And now it's a balance of a different time, a little bit of different time. So, um, yeah, it's a hobby that became more of a full time thing. Ah, very good. So now it is the priority. It is now the priority. it's a full-time thing, yes. 
So, so walk us through what are the performances like? A number of our listeners, especially the male listeners, have probably been at concerts with male performers, but not female performers. So if you can walk us, walk us through what your performances are like, uh, what are the songs like, what are the substances based on psukim? I guess there's an intermission. Walk us through so we can get a, a handle on what it's like from your perspective and then also from the audience's perspective. I would say that a female-only concert is like no other. Um it's a completely different experience for a woman to go to an all women's event than when she goes to like a co-ed or mixed environment. You know, she's firstly, you know, she could be with her mother, her, her friends, her sisters, her aunts, her cousins, you know, but the thing is, is that we have this ability to connect to each other. Now, music, as we know, has a way of connecting us all very, very strongly to ourselves, to our spiritual sides, to our roots. And really, you know, the ultimate way of connecting from neshama to neshama is through music. And so when women are in an environment where they can sing along with a singer and they could dance and they could put their arm around the person next to them, their friend, and they could really immerse themselves in the experience, it's nothing like going to a concert that there's also going to be men there and present because they're able to enjoy themselves in a different way than they wouldn't be able to when it's a co-ed environment. Um, I love going to an amazing Avram Free show or an Isha Rebo show I appreciate them so much. But so often I want to sing on the top of my lungs and I want to get up and dance because that's what music wants you to do. music, Or it makes you cry and it makes you connect. And but you're still sitting there as a woman and you're, you know, you're you're refraining to a certain extent. And so when you're with all women, there's a very, very elevating experience. You know, neshama to neshama, um, there's so many ways that you really, really connect and it becomes this immersive, very beautiful and holy, I would say, experience. I feel like we really, really, as when I'm singing on stage to the audience or when I'm even in the audience, um, I feel a very, very spiritual connection to my roots. I feel closer to HaKash Baruch Hu, And that ultimately is what's so beautiful of being and being in, in an all-female environment. So what are the songs that you sing? So I sing... I would say it's so versatile. I I grew up in an Israeli home, so I have I'm I grew up with Israeli oldies. I didn't I I was exposed to Uncle Maisie a little bit, but I wasn't exposed to so much else of like the American culture, um, Jewish nursery rhymes. I was exposed more to the Israeli ones, and so I would say that. I, I do a lot of, you know, things from my youth that I got, you know, that I heard as a child. Um, and then I love, you know, the amazing popular Abram Fried, Isha Rebo songs, Shweki, Mordechai Shapiro, Benny Friedman. I will love to sing some of their great songs. And recently, in recent times, Baruch Hashem, I'm releasing my own original music with, you know, positive messages, um, Jewish messages for girls. Um, and I'm singing that that material as well. And I hope more and more to be singing um, original music that is coming from me. Oh, very nice. Very nice. So one aspect that we're talking about are the live performances. And the other aspect is the posting videos online. And mm-hmm. to get your take on that. I, I do. I obviously haven't listened to any or seen any. Um, but uh, what are the benefits of of posting videos online, that's more putting yourself out there as opposed to a performance that is uh, at a specific locale, a specific location, and the women come to as opposed to posting online, which is more of a 
a public statement. So what, what are the benefits of, of doing that? So I want to start by saying that like for many, many years, I was here for about 15, 16 years, I was performing without having any public platform and everything was word of mouth. You know, one client would hear from another until this day, I still have clients that know me from, you know, you know, just when it was word of mouth, when they heard of me and someone else said, oh, you know, did you hear this Brafa Jaffe? And that's how, um, and that's how, you know, our relationship started. And I have incredible, amazing relationships that I formed from those times. However, you know, I had a very, very amazing and very valued friend and professional um, manager who once told me, she goes, Bracha, I'm telling you, the world is evolving and you you need to take advantage of the opportunity that you have to be able to reach more girls. Um, and it took me a lot of time to realize that I should do this. It took me about a year to come to terms with the fact that I would put myself on a public platform and a lot of going back and forth with, you know, my husband, um, my, 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 my good friends, people that I respected, and also my Rav. I also have a brother who's a Rav who I, you know, value his opinion and his direction very, very strongly. Um, and then we also asked our Rav as well, who asked, you know, his Rav. And, you know, there were so many questions involved in how I should go about um, starting this and also so I would feel comfortable you know I am a mother of five Baruch Hashem everything that I do has a complete 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 and we know immediate effect on my children and I only want 100% positive for them and so I had to really really think everything through um the big shift really was that number one you know to, to stay in music and to keep going and the relevance I would need a public platform but also for me it was more about reaching um the girls that I wouldn't be reaching before and you know I could say that it's Baruch Hashem worked because this year I had the opportunity to fly to across the world, to Australia, to London, to Vienna, to Los Angeles, to Florida. And I'm reaching all these girls in all different neighborhoods from girls who want Jewish kosher entertainment, just like the ones in New York. And so I just, I feel so lucky to be able to um, utilize the platform in this way um, and to reach these girls you know, all over the world in a global way. And I try very hard to stay true to who I am. Very, very hard. I keep asking. I keep checking in with myself. I always, always, uh, you know, I have a rub that I can ask all my questions to, that I feel comfortable asking to. Um, and so whenever something arises or something that I'm uncomfortable with, I'm not sure of, I check in with myself. I check in with people who guide me best. Um, and that's that's okay. how we do it. Yeah, that's that's true. So so it's about being there for people in person and also even when you're not in person, being an inspiration for people whenever they want to access your music. Now, you mentioned that you hey. went around the world. I, I, I do know that there was uh, one location that a, a few limited, limited rabunning came out against the performance. There was going to be a performance. They came out against it. I understand it was sold out regardless, but there have been some who have uh, came out against the performances. And also, um, I wanted to ask why that is, why you think that is. And also, has there been negativity about the videos online? Have you had any feedback, negative feedback? I'm sure there's a lot of positive feedback, but uh, has there been negative feedback in those regards? Right. Okay. So, um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I guess I'm going to divide it up. So the first, the, for the first part of the question, when it comes to the live performances, um, and you know, any, any challenges or bumps in the road, I would say, um, I would say that I, I don't really see them as I, I'm, I'm Baruch Hashem. I'm trying to shift my perspective to it all being very, very positive. Um, and me on even understanding, you know, the dimensions of Klal Yisrael on a deeper level when it comes to experiencing things like this. I want to say that for sure, it's unfamiliar territory. What um, what we are doing, even though, you know, I had role models as a kid who were already starting this beautiful um, aspect of having four women by women entertainment. 
But um, but it really, really took a big turn in the last few years. And, you know, the platform has grown and it's something new. And when it's something new, it's unfamiliar territory. So everyone, when anything, when anytime you're coming on a new path, you know, you're going to watch your step. You're not familiar with what's ahead of you and you need to you know, check in constantly and see where you're going and making sure that you're not, you know, going to harm or hurt yourself or the people around you. Um, so I would say it's very, very uncharted territory. And because of that, there's, there's the, there, I, 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 I totally understand the skepticism. I do believe that in our generation, you know, I'm also being a mother to a teenage girl who Baruch Hashem is a healthy, great girl, but wants to enjoy herself is desperate for something. You know, we, we are, the world has, evolved so much and our girls are growing up in different times. And so they need um, positive influences and they need um, healthy outlets. And I, and they need to feel proud of who they are and connected to their roots and, and, and be able to on terms that they understand. So I think that um, it is very, very important for our girls to be able to go out um, and have a healthy concert to come to, um, to enjoy with their friends, because unfortunately there are so so many things that are pulling them in different directions. And so kosher entertainment is super, super, super important. Um, I'm going to say that just like, you know, we've learned that, you know, and it's, you know, it's something that we embody constantly as parents and as mechanchem and as rabbanim. Every rav has to guide his own keila, the way that he guides his keila, the way he sees fit for his keila, he knows his keila best. And I, as bracha jaffe, I'm not going to ever, you know, say to our, um, a rav or a leader, what I think that they should be doing. It is not in my position. I will follow my guidance and my leadership. And, you know, and I have Baruch Hashem, an amazing rav and I, that I ask my questions to, and I will continue doing what I do. And I understand everyone's, everyone's individual decision on what they feel is fit for themselves, for their children, for their kahila. And I a hundred percent want only this world to be respectful towards each other. And I think only with that will we experience the ultimate gula and the coming of Mashiach. So me being the person I am on stage, I need to embody that. And so, um, yes, yeah, sometimes things are hard and challenges arise, but, um, my perspective is of this way. <laughs> Right. And, and the online, would you say the same? Or it, oh, okay. Uh, so when it comes to online, so Baruch Hashem, um, you know, there's a lot, a lot, a lot of consideration that goes into every, um, every, you know, song and video we release. Um, and um, I, I, I haven't really experienced other than, you know, some, you know, cause they say like these online, not even, you know, I haven't really experienced real negative feedback from anything yet. I, Baruch Hashem, like, you know, I, I want to say, and I hopefully continues this way. The videos that I've released have only, um, I get the, the emails I get, like you said, people need it on a constant. They need to be able, they're sitting, women are sitting and they're, they're in their kitchen, they're at work, they're doing homework with their children. It's a bedtime. They want to put something on for their girls, for their young children. It's, it's, it's just, it's becoming, I, the feedback I get about how life-changing it is, is humbling. I can't believe that I've been a shuliach in this, in this, in this, you know, area of life and that the inspiration is constant when I don't even know it. Um, and so it's just very humbling and just shows how, you know, great the world is and how great HaKadosh Baruch Hu is that even when I don't know, I still have the ability to impact people. And so I, I, that, in that regard, I, I could say very, 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 Heartedly, that I haven't experienced any negativity so far. I'm very, very happy about that. And you mentioned the feedback. If you can give us a little bit of uh, detail on some of the feedback that you re received, and is it different uh, coming from, let's say, young ladies, uh, teenagers, as opposed to women who have, have uh, advanced more in their lives? 
So, um, so I would say that the audiences, even in live shows are so, so major. Like, you know, I just did, I, you know, you, I will, I will be singing to a grandmother who's sitting next to her, even a great grandmother who's sitting next to her great grandchild or granddaughter. And that to me is just beyond. It just shows you how much, like how much we have the ability to bring asked us to bring people together in an environment that it's not just teen. You would think that it's just teen and young girls in these concerts. It's not. But um, in terms of feedback that I get in in regards to, you know, emails that we get, um, people, you know, I, I so many struggles that people have gone through. Everyone has their peccola and whether it be illness or going through a very difficult time in their life, mental health. I, I see, I get these personal emails that people are expressing to me how the music that I've released and the videos that I've released or seeing a replay from a show that I've done have have given them strength to continue on in a day, in a week, change their perspective, help them hold on to things in a different way, feel like they're supported, feel like they have someone next to them, feel like they're like they're never alone. I know that sounds a little um, corny, but one of our biggest songs out there is Never Alone. And, um, and feeling that way is just, it, it, I, you know, I've sat at my this table and have re- read stuff and have shed so many tears just by hearing people's personal feedback. And I, um, and like I said, I just, I feel very, very honored and lucky and humble to be part of that. It sounds like you are continuing your nursing occupation with taking care of people, even on a you- much global level. You know, it's so funny. People always say to me, it's so different. How are you a singer and also a nurse? And I say, no, it's really one and the same. It's two sides of the same coin. You know, as nurses, we're trained so holistically you know, mind, body, mind, body, soul, mind, body, soul. We think, see the whole person, see their psychosocial, see everything around them, not just the illness that they're complaining about right now when they walk in through the door. And really, really as a singer in the Orthodox Jewish world and as a from female singer, I've only experienced the same thing, that it's completely mind, body, and soul. I'm not here. I I never, I'm not going on stage thinking of what I'm wearing and the glitz and the ga- glamour. I put very, very little, 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 little consideration into that. And, you know, I want to look like a basmalach. I want to look, want to represent myself nicely, but otherwise it's so minor in the fact that it's all about, you know, connecting mind, body, and soul to the humans that are in the room with me and the neshamos that are with me. And so it's so similar, a hundred percent. You nailed it on the head. Mr. Jaffe, thank you so much for joining us. It's really good to hear insights from the inside. Thank you so much for having me. And, you know, I I look forward to listening. Thank you so much.